0: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin. I hope you're doing well. It's another week, so it's another episode. And this week's guest is Radio Royalty. It's Mr. John Kennedy. John's a friend and I'm so pleased to finally get him onto Off The Beaten Track because he's somebody that I have a hell of a lot of time for. Um, he's as a DJ. He's been at well. He's at, currently at Radio X. Uh, I guess we can call Radio X was it a rebrand of XFM? So, you know, it's it's all in the same building. Um, and John's the, the one that's been there from the beginning. He was there when XFM started way back when it was in Charlotte Street, and and he's been with it until uh, you know up until now, and he's still going strong. Championing new music, um, and it doesn't appear to be that many people out there doing it. Certainly not at the the the, the level with the exposure that, that 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 John's got via his show. So uh, he's an absolute gentleman. Which, if you've never heard John's show um, or heard him on other podcasts, then you're about to find out. It was an absolutely lovely chat at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. So thanks to those guys for that. Um, before we get on with it. Just a quick shout out to screwish Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, thank you very much to Seventy Six for producing this. Thanks to my name is Ed for doing the artwork. Um, quick shout out that if you do enjoy these podcasts and you want to hear more from off the beaten track, then there is a Patreon page. Um, you can head over there, and each week there's another show put out, and um, and you can hear the music as well uh, on them, and. Uh, yeah, and there's merchandise from Off the Beaten Track as well. And it's all over at com. So everything you need to know is just over there. Go and have a look anyway and have a nose about me website. We're on all the socials as well. So go over there, say nice things and like, love, share. And if there's things you want changed or there's things you don't like, then drop us a message because I'm all ears. And hopefully you're now going to be all ears to this wonderful chat with a wonderful gentleman. So please enjoy Off The Beat & Track podcast with Mr. John Kennedy. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stew Whipping. Okay, we're recording We are at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen on a Tuesday afternoon and today I'm joined by the wonderful John Kennedy. Hey Stu, how are you? Uh, I'm good I'm good I feel like we've recorded the podcast already yeah John. we've had such a long conversation already <laughs> reminiscing about various different things and also you know
1: because obviously we're in a building that was once the Blue Note um, which I used to go to yeah. um, not as regularly as I'd like to pretend yeah. um, but I did go there a few times I saw some interesting things I saw um, this woman who Stella Chueshe who was a Zimbabwean um, thumb piano player, player and I remember seeing her possibly in this very room back in the 90s. You know, that was the kind of strange thing that I would go to. Obviously, Blue Note had a big fame as a as a club thing. But anyway, I'm getting off track Do you know already. what, John?
0: When, when, I, when I reached out to you to do this, I just thought, hey, John's going to be really obscure with his song choices, which you haven't been, but you've gone straight in with the most obscure reference you've come <laughs> up with. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. So we've... When was the last time we saw each other? When we was at Acas and you recorded the Hardcore Listening podcast? Yes, your indeed. Christmas singles. Yeah. yeah, which is great. I really enjoyed that. That it was, was good fantastic. Fun. And it's it's. It, I said to Scrooge the other day, I'm, I'm so excited to 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 have you on um, choosing your songs because I know we're gonna have a good chat about music, which is literally why about five minutes ago I went, John, we gotta stop talking and, and and just press record because I'm a real music nerd, but I know that you can out nerd me. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm, it's I'm a danger
1: <laughs> and uh, but i also find it um a, a challenge and a daunting task you know when you send through the details of yeah. what you look for for this podcast because it's like oh well where do you begin yeah. you know and and so it's it, i've tried to be a uh, challenge myself in terms of being as simple and direct as possible yeah and i mean it's the first one we're going to talk about the greatest intro yes yeah so i mean that i mean you know that the world is full of amazing intros on songs.
0: Yeah. And. You're only allowed to pick one, though, John. I know. It's, see, that's an impossible task. Well, you've, you've sent a couple over. So, yeah. do you want to do your honourable mentions before or after your choice? You choose. I think maybe before. Okay. Yeah. So, I. Thought about this
1: in a couple of different ways, and there's so many great songs with amazing intros. And then I was thinking, but well, what is an intro, and and where does it cut off, and and you know, how do you cut off? Is it going to be? Is it only going to be? 10 seconds, is it going to be two minutes, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I realised that some of the songs I was thinking about weren't really intros, they were just one long song. Yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking about Dirt by the Stooges, which yeah. has this amazing drum roll at the beginning and then it launches into this really slow but and repetitive beat, which yeah. I find completely hypnotic. But Iggy actually starts singing quite early on, but in my mind that, that was a, a two minute intro that yeah. I think is fantastic. Um, so, it not actually an intro no it's like ah oh, but maybe an introduction is an introduction when somebody goes on stage and introduces a band and i thought one way of ducking the issue of trying to find the best actual intro to a pop song would be to just choose the best intro i've ever heard right spoken by somebody and that was easy i thought because for me the best ever introduction of a band on stage on a live recording is John Sinclair's introduction for the MC five on the Kick Out of the Jams live album, which such a good shout. Such an amazing track. And it's kind of been a blueprint for me as somebody who introduces bands on stage. I've always liked the idea that, you know, there are people who come on and introduce a band. It can hype and can kind of contextualize a gig in a great, great way. Yeah. And when I first heard this, when I was a teenager, I just thought it was amazing. And in some ways, the intro is as good as the rest of the exactly. album. Because it's such a powerful speech. And, and also, that album and that speech helped open up whole worlds of music history that I was unaware of. So I guess, if at the very start of the album, Kick Out the Jams, um, John Sinclair, it's a live recording of them playing at the Grandy Ballroom in Detroit, somewhere they played regularly. And um, he would go up on stage and introduce the band on stage to the crowd. And he would set up the revolutionary aspects of what the MC five as a music force were all about. And emphasize to the crowd that, you know, this was an important event that was happening and that they were part of it. And it just the way he, he, he says it all is just so exciting. And um, for many years in the nineties uh, I would play that intro over other music. So it might be drum and bass, it might be yeah. techno, it might be electronica, um, and I'd weave it in when I was DJing, often between bands or after bands, but never in a... Occasionally I would try and use it in a club where yeah. people were dancing, and that was cool. Yeah. Um, but Often I'd use, use it in a situation where I didn't necessarily have to keep that dance floor full. Yeah. By, so I was free to just play John Sinclair um, shouting over a beat or something yeah. like that. And it, I thought it always sounded great. But um, I probably first heard the album because of The Damned. So oh, really? The Damned did a cover of a song called Looking At You, which is on the Kick Out of the Jams album. And that's, I think, probably how I first heard an MC5 song, Unknowingly. I think it was on Machine Gun Etiquette. And um, I love that song. It's, it's an amazing song. It's all about seeing somebody, uh, a person that you're attracted to, and trying to sum up that moment of, of the effect that they have on you. Yeah. You know, like that idea that I zing when the strings are my heart, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, when I, I... So it's like looking at you... Um, when I saw you on the stairs, you know, this, this kind of thing. And it explodes with a, 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 a kind of inarticulate attempt through the music to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to express this. So The dam did that. And I thought, oh, I really love this song. And then kind of looked at the credits and worked out, oh, it's by that band, the MC5. And I've heard about them. Um, so I bought a kick out of the jams on the strength of that. And I was completely blown away because it opens up with this crowd chanting. And then John Sinclair comes on stage and, sa- and starts telling us that we have five seconds, five seconds of decision, yeah. five seconds to realize our purpose here on the planet. You know, it couldn't get more serious than yeah. that. And then, you know, I'm about to give you a testimonial. I'll give you the MC5, you know, and then they explode. Yeah. And uh, it just sounds amazing. It sounds so exciting. I thought, well, surely that is the greatest intro of all time. That's such a good shout but then I thought, well, you want a music one, don't you? So you're not going with it. So I thought this no, was it. I no, thought the see, other see, two were your I thought, no, that is the greatest intro of all time, but it's not a music intro, you yeah. know, in in a way. It's, okay. So, so I thought maybe that, I, I was ducking the issue with that. Right. And I thought of something a bit more cerebral, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe, how about Teenage Riot by Sonic Youth, which Great, has, yep. has kind of two intros yep. in a way. So it has this quiet kind of... Um, hypnotic bit at the start yeah. whereas it's just kind of setting a scene in yeah. a way that lasts about a minute and then suddenly that stops and fades out and then the guitar intro comes in which it starts building and then the song takes off I sp- um
0: i spoke to- sorry go on.
1: no um, and and both of those are really great i mean if you're actually djing yeah. teenage riot by sonic youth you cut off that bit at the beginning yeah. because it's too dreamy yeah. and kills the atmosphere. So you have to kind of find the bit where the song kicks in. But it's got a great intro where if anybody hears the guitar line come in, um, then they're like, oh, wow. You know, And they like the song, then they, they
0: know, oh, it's Teenage Riot. And there's so many... there's That's so much Sonic to Youth. Yes. That is Sonic Youth. Mm. I, I, I had um, Tim Dello from Transgressive on. Yeah. And and he chose... Uh, was it Teenage Riot? Or was it 100%? I can't, I can't think. But we were saying that every big sort of um, Sonic Youth track, You even like Sugarcane, it's just got that weird guitar sound at the beginning, but at some point, the wigging out stops and you get real hook, like rock guitars yeah. that, that's in hidden in all them Sonic Youth songs. It wigs out in and around it, but you do have them rock sensibilities within them as well, which is the the kind of groove, I guess, like, yeah, yeah, completely.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, the amount of times I just find that so exciting—the way that they build that—and yeah. to see that perform live as well is really, Amazing. really exciting. Um, but I decided, well, what you were really looking for was a, a classic intro of a song. So, I mean, I, you know, I was trying to think back and think of, you know, that I'm um, really formed by a lot of '60s music. I think because I went through a heavy '60s phase when I was getting really into music. Um, and that's kind of always part of me. And then I was thinking of 70s, 80s or more recent stuff. But I thought, actually, there's one intro of one song that you can still play to anybody, and if they know the song at all, they get really, really excited about it. <laughs> and so my teenage daughter has discovered this song, and a lot of her friends have discovered this song, and it's one I've played as a DJ in clubs uh, for... for Um, and it was one when i first heard it on the radio immediately stood out and grabbed your attention and you were wanting to hear more and you were just so so excited and it still causes that excitement i think and that is the intro to this charming man by the smiths which is one if not the greatest intro of all time it's incredible and Johnny Marr's guitar, people fall in love with Johnny Mars guitar and try and learn that solo. And even now when Morrissey is, has become a kind of dark figure, yep. um, people will want to listen to Johnny Mars guitar yeah. and, and the rest of the band. It's an amazing band. Yeah. Um, but that intro has managed to transcend time and genre and still works today. And, and as sadly the um the progress of time means that all bands end up reduced to one song yeah and that is probably their one song even though i think actually people once they get into that get into the smiths and and look at their other songs as well um but you know what
0: an amazing song everything that you've done to to justify that choice was so on the money um I, I do think it's. I, I still play it every Friday night at my club, and hearing that that, that Mar riff at the beginning, I see excited eighteen-year-olds running to the dance floor, and I just think, I was an excited eighteen-year-old running to that dance floor thirty odd years ago, and it's still happening. And like, and I think that's credit to the. The Smiths, obviously, but it's credit to the producer because for so much music that was coming out then, the production has dated. The production hasn't dated on the Smiths. It still sounds fresh. It still sounds vital. And it still sounds, you know, for a track like um, How Soon Is Now even, it sounds out of time. It doesn't sound like any... When I say out of time, I don't mean like the, the, the beat. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's, it, it sounds otherworldly from what was going on then. And, uh, and yeah, and it's and it's weird. I see... My kids know what that record is. and it, it's, it's, yeah. yeah,
1: and it cuts to the chase in a way. You know, it, 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 it's a great intro. It, it catches your ear. It, it sparkles. Yeah. It shines. And it grabs your attention. But it also is an intro. And yeah. then the song is, is different again. Yeah. You know, and he
0: doesn't repeat that bit. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. He doesn't. Yeah. But it's strange because the first Smith's album I owned was Hatful Hollow. Mm. And I think it's a different version on Hatful. and it's not got... Yeah. It just goes... Down, 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 yeah. down, down, down. It goes straight in. Yeah, well, that would be the session version because yeah, Hatful was, Apollo yeah.
1: was, uh, was a compilation yeah. of session tracks um, because so they were disappointed with their debut album proper. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah they were. And, and there was such demand for the session um, that they put that album together yeah. um, before they'd released their second record. Yeah. So the kind of two went hand in hand, really. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Not, not hand in glove, but I hand you in know
0: hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, so we're going to go for This Charming Man, then. That's yes. going to bump um, Teenage Riot. And, uh, yeah. I mean,
1: the John Sinclair intro is amazing. Yeah. But it's not a music intro. But it is amazing. And I, I did actually, I mean, I've kind of memorized that. I listened to it so many times. And I always had a, a dream of using that, as an introduction one time yeah for a band yeah. and i did actually get to do that which was amazing so what was the band the bell race right from america yep um uh, and Heart. that was
0: that was a good band to do that because yes, that's not no, a million miles away is it exactly Raucous, kind of bluesy yeah.
1: yeah exactly really high energy um garage band yeah. an amazing soul singer lisa kakula on vocals um and so i used to put these nights on at the barfly in london exposure live uh for xfm and you know they were monthly so we had a lot of bands play and uh the bell rays came through that new rock revolution um and were part of that whole uh, uh explosion of music around the white stripes and the strokes but they were very much of the Garrett rock yeah. fraternity um and so i th- i kind of said, you know, I'm gonna do an introduction for you. You know, and they said, Yeah, great, we'll kind of play underneath yeah. you. So so it was kind of you know, I've got to get on stage and do this Big thing yeah. while the guitar started working its way yeah. up, which was really exciting. And, and it was there's pretty no looking much
0: back. Once you started that and the guitars are going, you've got to see yeah. it through Yeah, this is it. And it was really
1: exciting because it was pretty much word for word. No. Oh, my no, Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, it was, it was so silly. No, and and I've and I worked that in different ways with other bands as well, no, but not quite as word for word yeah. as I did that night
0: with the Bell Rays. I'll tell you what, if I was ever to get in a ring and have a fight, that would be my walkout theme as well. Wow. It's yeah. a call of arms, isn't it? It is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Track two, John. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah. See, that's a big question. Right. Okay. Um, because
1: I think all music has an emotional impact on okay. you. Okay. And it's trying to work out what is that emotion. Mm-hmm. So I think for a long time, um, the emotional impact that music was having on me was one of, of excitement and anger and release And, you know, something that would uh, get you excited, so you might want to dance to it. And I think all of those are emotional responses. Um, But in some ways, I was thinking of this as what was the first song that made me cry? Okay. And I I, I was thinking that in some ways, even though I loved um, sad music, I don't think... I was actually shedding tears to the sad music I was listening to at that point because I was too young. I don't think I had uh, the right range of experiences. Um, Maybe luckily I hadn't been through too many emotional turmoils. No, didn't have any family loss or anything like that. So it wasn't until I heard this song and I found myself crying to it that it's seems to me the first song I cried to. And, and I'm reading an emotional impact in, in that way. Yeah. And it wasn't as if I was even particularly upset, but there was something about the lyric and the performance that connected and I could relate specifically in a way. And it, it touched a nerve. And I, I suddenly realized, gosh, I'm, I'm... How <laughs> old was I'm, you? I, I was about... I'd be about 18, 19... Um, so, you know, music had been a, a massively important part of my life for, for, I'd say, at least six, seven years by then. Um, and so, you know, I had turned to music for solace in, in yeah. various different ways, um, you know, including probably moping in my bedroom, of feeling course. sorry for myself. Um, Reference back to the Smiths, yeah, yeah, this is it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you see, they also had you dancing, no. I mean, and and while you know, I, I definitely would have identified with you know, I, I can't go out tonight, I haven't got a stitch to wear, or or you know, there's uh, a club that you I, like to go, yeah, to. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I wasn't actually shedding tears of to that, you no, know, and uh, but yeah, but this song somehow came out of nowhere and it wasn't. Uh, even as if I was listening to this artist that much at the time. No, she was a kind of new artist to me in many ways. I heard this song on a compilation or a mix tape that a friend of mine had done for me. Uh So we'd kind of grown up, some of us had gone off to to university and so there was a bit more of an exchange of music and I was attempting to retake A-levels, failing them again. Not many people managed to do that. Um, and listening to this, and I would kind of got involved with a girl a bit, and it was a ha- happy time. Um, and I was at a point where I was kind of at loose end at home, so I was listening to the mixtape and looking forward to seeing this girl. And the story that is in this song you know, the moment I wake up yeah. and you know, going through that routine, but I'm thinking I'm of you makeup? all the time. Yeah, right. yeah, well, I, w- <laughs> I wasn't actually putting on makeup necessarily but no just the idea that you're having a daily routine but you're kind of thinking of this point later and yeah. it's a kind of lovely thought yeah of course and so it's not as if you're really even upset but it seemed to unlock that, that emotional involvement in that moment where yeah. you're really looking forward to seeing someone and the, the music is really articulating that the, the, the song itself is but the performance is as well because so it's very tender and that seemed to unlock the tears. Yeah. And now I seem to cry at anything, yeah. any anything, any song yeah. um, that, that I kind of relate to in any way, or just be it joyful or sad, mm-hmm. seems to set the tears flowing in some ways. Yeah. No, or just a moment, I mean, I, I could be at a gig, went to see Idols last night, and I find it really emotional seeing a co- the connection between a band and an audience. And, and seeing that can, bring a tear to my eye I think it's a very lovely thing and also thinking especially with idols I think they've got a lot of emotion a lot of power oh in what they God, do yeah. and you know I find that really uh, to have a, a very strong impact and, and so you know no, get well up watching yeah. idols I wouldn't yeah. necessarily think that but then it's the whole ramifications of the idea of idols and, yeah. and the things that they sing about oh, the lyrical
0: and, content to Samaritans that's, that's yes, amazing
1: yes oh completely um, and I think that they're trying to reach out to people and, and um, about subjects that they wouldn't necessarily um, think about or articulate. But yeah. but and it's funny you say you mentioned Samaritans—the idea that they're trying to um, let men be emotional. Yeah. And uh, but at the same time, watching the audience. A lot of these blokes, fists in the air, yeah. shouting. It's a, even though they're talking about being vulnerable. Yeah, it's quite funny that the yeah, response yeah, is course. to be really strong. And <laughs> no, but it's it's great. Yeah. I'm, p- I'm punching the air here, um, in case you didn't realise. Um, so so it's it's. I mean, emotional is an open-ended word. It can yeah. be it can mean many different things.
0: But I, I get when you say the the, the, the connection between um, audience and band, nothing will slay me like hearing a crowd singing mm. whether that be yeah. a, a, you know even when when I had um, Colin Murray on he was talking about um, Hibs fans singing Sunshine on Leaf and I went and listened to that on YouTube and I'm not a football fan and I, I like the proclaimers I'm not a massive fan I just welled up yeah. just thinking that's yeah. absolutely yeah. amazing yeah. And, and again watching Glastonbury footage and you hear the crowd singing it that connection, yeah. that really, really hits hits a nerve with me. Yeah, I, totally.
1: Me uh, too. No, I mean anything like that. Yeah. But it's interesting that really this song um, was that was the first song that brought me to tears. I'm in the kitchen doing the washing up, listening to the tape, um, and suddenly realizing, oh God, I'm I'm kind of crying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm there on my own. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I didn't have to. Uh, I wasn't crying in front of people.
0: But that's a pure connection so with oh, the music, isn't completely. it? Completely.
1: Yes. So that's why In it's purest form. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I thought I'd go for this because I I really remember that. Yeah. Um I, I, the song is I Say a Little Prayer by yeah. Aretha Franklin. I we should mention that, yeah. we? I've been teasing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you yeah, said it cuz yeah, I would have forgot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean what
0: an amazing piece of music. You know. Just looking at um last year when she passed like Watching some of the footage again on, 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 on YouTube and and, oh, just, and it's the effortless nature when she sings. Mm. It just looks like she's not even trying and yeah. it's just ridiculous what's coming out of her mouth. Yeah. Just wonderful. Okay. Where was you born, John?
1: I was born in Earls Court in London. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of
0: West London. Um, in a hospital that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. And so, w- when you said that, that you was 18, when you, you heard that reefer track and, and you'd been sort of seriously into your music for, for five to six years at that point, going back before that at home and stuff like that, was, was there a stereo in house? Mum and Dad had music on? And Mum and Dad didn't really have music on. Uh, there was one record player
1: um, and me and my sister shared that record player.
0: Older or younger sister?
1: Uh, older sister. Pretty important in terms right. of music taste and stuff I like that. Know, yeah, yeah. they're very, very important. Um, so my mum and dad had about five albums and they were really just bought to put on in the background when they would have a party. And they quite liked having parties, but it didn't, they weren't bothered about what the soundtrack to that party was. Yeah. They just wanted something there. And maybe if other people brought some music, that would be fine too. Yeah. So there are a few top of the pops albums. There's a Beach Boys collection. So uh, the top of the pops albums, we should explain to
0: people who don't know, <laughs> yeah. were, were they covers? They were covers yeah. of
1: songs in the hit parade. I mean, it's
0: mad. Generally, I don't know why. A bikini clad girl on the yes. cover. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they would have bought them, but that's. Coming from a different perspective, really, yeah, I think um there were people who, especially my mum, really loved music, um, but it music was a very functional thing, yeah, and so there was music at church, there was music for social occasions, there was music maybe down the pub, there would be music that, my parents are Irish, so there'd be music that they would have been aware of from um, sessions in pubs that that kind of traditional Irish yeah. thing. My dad wasn't that into it, and his he reacted against it, really Both parents were Irish y- yes, both parents were Irish from different parts of Ireland, but my mum was was it was and is still really affected by music um and loves it, um, and her family were quite into music um but but you know they were immigrants in effect, so they'd moved over to London, um well, they'd met in London and uh, got married and then had a family. Um, so music was a kind of, it was there for a social occasion. Yeah. And they listened to the radio. So it wasn't, they never, I don't think they ever felt they needed to own the sure. music. They could put the radio on if they needed music. They would use it and find it that way. Um, so it was just kind of there. So when my sister got more into music and started wanting to buy records, then there was this one record player. Um, and so uh, she would listen to things on that. And then when I
0: got what that havings. Um, Well, Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i've put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side
1: i'm trying to think
0: now so say so my mum and dad have you had a few record,
1: just a few records um And we were both given a few records by an uncle, like really random purchases um, that he, I think, bought at an airport. And, you know, oh, I'm going around to stay with them. I need to buy them a present. Yeah. So one of the the first, probably the first record I owned um, was The Move's Greatest Hits. Okay. Now, I would might have been five or something when I was given that. And I had no idea who The Move were. I think he thought he was buying a popular band. They were reasonably popular, but Um, and I wasn't that bothered and it was just there for many years and I think Siobhan my sister was given another record I can't remember what record she was given but again I don't think she was that bothered about it but when she was maybe 10 she started to get listening to the radio more and wanted particular songs so she bought a few singles and stuff and it wasn't really until I was about 12 that I thought about buying records. So, so that, that we'll get to it. But the first record I bought was when I was younger. Right, okay. Um, and it, that kind of explains the, that choice.
0: Okay. Well but we'll So
1: this, this section is the song that reminds you of your school days, it is, isn't it? It is, it yeah. is. So, so my, our school days, so I was born in the 60s and went to school in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I'm very old. Uh, <laughs> but so the soundtrack of school in the 70s would have been glam. Uh-huh. And you know the kind of thing that people would have sung in the playground would have been Slade or Queen and would have been big, big songs like We Will Rock You yeah. or um, Come On, Feel The Noise, yeah. that kind of thing. Was you into it? Totally, yeah. thought it was fantastic and we loved singing those kind of yeah. songs. You know, They're big sing-along anthems and we're very aware of Top of the Pops, which was our forum for seeing these songs songs performed and we would have watched it every week and we were really into it so this is me and my sister and my schoolmates and we would have been discussing this in the playground or singing those songs the next day as well well before you you pick your choice because
0: you know the look of your choice is is quite a i guess a safe look but you, you say sitting down with your sister each week to watch top of the pops um and bands like Slade and, and and I guess Bowie and T-Rex. well Bowie
1: yeah T Rex um and I all those those kind it? of bands that would have been on but but oh. I think it's for my age group, it would have been Slade, The Sweet, Queen, um, Gary Glitter, yeah. And one of the first records I was given was Mud's Greatest Hits, yeah, which had a quite a cool sleeve that um, it had a cutout on the front, maybe of a heart, and you would pull it out, and you know the heart was inside. Uh, the, the inner sleeve, you no, know, and it, it would have had Tiger Feet on there, which was a big song for us.
0: And so, what you was know. your parents' take on that? Like the, I, them, kind of like because they, they looked, they looked like they were from space. Slade and 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 yeah. Sweet and things they, like that, didn't they?
1: Well, they wouldn't. My mum might have seen a bit of it, but um, top of the pots, my dad would definitely not have been watching it. Right. So they wouldn't have been bothered. Yeah. And. Um, they wouldn't have been sat down with us. We'd have been watching it yeah. on our own, I reckon. Yeah. And so there was. We didn't really have that conversation that a lot of people people had. It's like, yeah. oh, what the hell are they? Oh, I had no. I, I can yeah. vividly
0: remember my, my culture club being on top of the pops, and like my my, my my mum and dad just literally, is that a boy or a girl? What is it? Yeah. Like, Turn <laughs> it off. It's rubbish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we we wouldn't have had I mean, and that conversation to say about David Bowie or something. Yeah. Maybe when we were older, because we'd have been we'd have probably been let up, allowed to stay up late to watch Top of the Pops yeah. when in the Slade era. Yeah. Um, but that, definitely those songs stayed with us and they were kind of important. And great I think, records. Yeah, great great records, and we'd have been informed by them. But then there was a shift a few years later. So say the, the band I'm going to choose. Um, but I remember being aware of them more. Um, from Top of the Pops than when I got into them. So say in many ways our first introduction to punk and new wave and that shift in music would have been via Top of the Pops so these bands would have suddenly appeared out of nowhere and you think, what are they? And I remember specifically um, singing in the city by the jam at school when I was still in middle school. So where I went to school, we had a primary, middle and high school system. So you went to primary age five to nine, middle was nine to 13. Then you went to high school, 13 to 16 or 18 if you stayed on. And um, I remember being in middle school and jumping around, pretending to be the jam, doing in the city, tying up because their key thing was that your school tie could be tied in a tiny knot yep. and then you look like the germ yeah um and so that's what we were doing and and but it, at that point i didn't have the money or interest to go and buy that record yeah. i was happy to just lark about yeah and we'd be making a note of it and then maybe a re- just slightly later suddenly it's like maybe even a, six months or yeah. a year i remember actually you, this is in this actually you've Awoken a memory that I'd forgotten about, but I remember the two going on a trip to buy an album around that time, which would have been after my first record purchase, but would have been actually a specific trip to buy a record, which was um, something I'd forgotten about. Actually, anyway, cause there were so um, anyway, so the <laughs> the song that reminds you of school days. I'm going to go for a jam song. It's David Watts. Right, right. So I, we've moved on. I'm now in high school. And I'm more actively interested and involved in music. And so, you know, I, I, th- I've plumbed for this song because it's about school. And it's a song about wishing you could be like David Watts. It's yeah. a Ray David song. I didn't know that time. Just thought it was the song by the jam. Yeah. I didn't even know that Bruce Foxton sang it when I bought it. had no idea. Um, but I absolutely love the song. And it seemed to me to uh, completely encapsulate life in school. Mm-hmm. You no. Know, and this this idea that you want to be, you think you want to be like the person who's better than you. Yeah. Um, and the chant it's you know, the chant of David Watts, really it's a kind of yeah. glam type thing, isn't it? I mean, it's simple rock yeah. and roll. Um, but you see, my school days also went then up to Echo and the Bunny Man and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, you know, they remind me of a certain period of yeah. my school days. But I see in some ways David Watts straddles the two, that being that much younger school day than the older school day because by the time I'd have been getting into uh, Egg and the Bunny Man and Tito Explodes and Joy Division all those yeah. kind of bands I was a a, a sophisticated teenager who yeah. had you know ideas about taste in a yeah. way and I'd already
0: slightly put the jam behind me for a while no so how did uh, that sit with your your classmates like you know were they the same or was or, some or of a yeah so then
1: there was that divide. so when we were school children and into um Slade and the sweet and Queen and Mud. Um, it was just all one yeah. body. Yeah. You know, everybody liked the same thing. It wasn't yeah. even the idea that whether you, you weren't even that conscious that whether you yeah. liked it or not, it was just there. Um, then I think maybe a bit older at middle school, then you know, say you went through a period of say ABBA came out, you watched Eurovision, you liked Waterloo, I was whatever age nine or something um you you weren't making any snobby decisions about anything of course and then suddenly when you get to high school from the age of 13 onwards you're starting what even 12 just last year of middle school you're kind of getting a bit snobby about things and weighing things up but also at the same time not you know and that's that strange kind of interesting transition so say You know, the jam would have been listened to alongside The Stranglers and the Tom Robinson Band and Boomtown Rats initially, but then probably by the time I was getting into David Watts, I was now being a bit more selective and and being a bit more snobby about it. But the great thing was that because I had an elder sister who went through these various different phases, and because we shared a record player at that point, um, we would be forced to listen to each other's taste. Um, So we, we... kind of went through various different periods where um, you know, we used to watch Top of the Pops, went through a phase where we would tape the top 40 um, and we would sing along to the top 40, but the tape recorder we had would tape whatever was happening in the room. So we didn't have a tape yeah, recorder yeah, yeah. built in with a radio built in. Um, so we would hear, if we listened back to these tapes, we'd have my sister and I singing along to I'll the songs well. on the hit parade as uh, some people call it. And, you know, just completely stupid. Yeah. Um, and so, but she, Siobhan went through various different phases. So she liked some of the punk stuff. Um, I remember being really, really jealous of her because um, through some friends she had, she was going to see Susie and the Banshees play in Croydon. Wow. And they had just released Hong Kong Garden. Wow. And my mum wouldn't let me go. I was They're too young. have probably
0: been on Top of the Pops doing that.
1: Yeah, very probably, yeah. Um, and I really, really wanted to go. I'd bought Hong Kong Garden. And um, you were unearthing lots of memories. I'd forgotten about this. I wasn't allowed to go. They went to the gig, it was canceled. Susie lost her voice and they got oh, yeah. to the gig and, and it didn't happen. Um, but there was, so she was into that, but she was also into, um, she went through a little kind of rock and roll phase. It was a kind of rock and roll revival with Shawadi Wadi, but right. also the death of Elvis. And um, Buddy Holly and uh, Siobhan was friendly with a neighbour, uh, a girl called Elaine, who really fancied this boy who was a Ted, a few years older than them. So it was them. like Stray Cats in that happening then as well? The, just a tad bit later. Right. Because um, they were cool. Yeah. But um, this, the, the surface level of the rock and roll revival that I was aware of was not cool. Yeah but it did mean was that stuff like coast to coast and all that yeah, kind of Yeah yeah that was getting in the charts yeah. it was really quite crap yeah. and and shaking stevens and <laughs> yeah, stuff like Yeah of course that. yeah but of course at the you know the, there was stuff to be learned and so um Alex who Elaine fancied and went out with for a little bit was a proper ted and was into proper rock and roll so that meant um they actually started listening to prop and rock and roll. So Siobhan bought Buddy Holly's Greatest Hits. So that was one of the records that we listened to. Then Siobhan got into disco. Yeah. And she was you know, into nightclubbing and trying to persuade my dad to let her go to the disco. Yeah. And uh, so that meant she was into Night Fever and Chic and stuff like that. And she bought Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, played that endlessly. And so I resisted. I was like, no, I like punk. Yeah. And, um, but I would still hear all this stuff. And then a few years later, I discovered, actually, I really like it. And so when I was going to clubs and discos myself, I would dance to those songs. Um, And it meant that I had heard all this stuff without realising it. And and we would dance to these things together. So then when I started buying the jam and stuff, she would be into the jam. We'd be dancing around the room
0: That's lovely. to the jam.
1: It was really, really lovely. And it was kind of mutual education, really. And I thank her for that. And it also meant that we went through this phase where we would buy albums together. Um, So this was her way of getting to own an album was that, John, could I get two pounds and then we can buy this album together? And um, it meant we bought No More Heroes by The Stranglers together. We bought Rumours by Fleetwood Mac together. Um, And so I might have been leaning more for The the Stranglers, she might have been leaning more for Fleetwood Mac. But I fell in love with that Rumours album and that was a real soundtrack of my school days as well. I remember one particular summer when I was about 12, 13, going around to people's houses and we all had different records. And so one one guy had Tonic for the Troops by the Boomtown Rats and Power in the Darkness by the Tom Robinson Band. Um, I had Fleetwood Mac's Rumours and The Stranglers No More Heroes. And we were all listening to these things together, really, because... Yeah. We only had so many records. And it's quite interesting that it all kind of. I didn't have any sense of rumors soundtracking the breakup of adult marriages. I had no idea of that. Yeah. These were just really, really catchy songs, kind of vaguely related to the romantic aspect of it, but didn't really, really understand the greater depth to it in any way. They were just really, really brilliant. Songs, brilliant musicians, yeah. brilliant music. I wasn't really evaluating even the quality of that, but that's yeah. why I liked it because it was so, so good. Yeah. Arguably
0: um, the ultimate breakup album.
1: <laughs> yes, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Completely unaware of the deeper meaning of yeah. it all. But at the same time, you know, the Tom Robinson band, you know, uh, Grey Cortina, Martin, uh, you know, that these were great, great songs. 2468 Motorway, you know, and, and Tonight for the Troops was the same. and But there was no um, snobbery at that point between any of it. Yeah. But definitely a couple of years later, it's like, oh, well, I couldn't really admit to listening to Tonic for the Troops. Or, yeah. you know, TRB had kind of gone out of fashion. Yeah. And yet, really, you know, these were helpful records. Um, I remember having a stupid discussion about Glad to Be Gay with friends in, around at somebody's house and kind of, but not really understanding it. You no, know, not, it, it was a re- really naive yeah. trying to understand it. yeah, And uh, that was interesting, you no. Know, Um, So kind of in a way the jam fits into that period. It was very much a part of it that David Watts, but it was also very much, um, this is an aspect of school days where, it's a song I think that we'd have all heard um, but also it was still a song that I would be listening to in my bedroom as well, so it kind of, you know, and that—that that is <laughs> weird, but in some ways, that solo activity of listening to music in the bedroom, as well as being a communal thing, it was kind of uh, very important and very, yeah. you know, because then I went through a mod phase, you see, as well, so I was a, a kind of weekend mod for a little bit, and I... W- what was that
0: sort of secret affair and, and that, totally. that kind of yeah, era? yeah, that album, yeah, that I loved, yeah. you
1: know... Um, Time for action. I, I clearly like these motivational things. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a big tune, and, and I was it's a fro- great
0: record. Time for action.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. It is. It's a. It's a classic. Um, but I grew up around Wimbledon. Yeah. And so Merton Parkers were the first band I got went to see. Right. At Wimbledon Theatre. The seats were trashed in the first yeah. few four rows so or something. to, to, to
0: give, give a little bit of kind of context to what what we're saying uh, talking about here is there was kind of early 80s, there was a, a, a sort of second revival, of, of, a mod revival yeah. wasn't there. And yeah, and it kind of linked into, so, so in some ways, I mean, Paul Weller was a
1: leader in this, yeah. but he had become a mod as a teenager in Woking, in Surrey, in the mid-70s. Yeah. And part of what had got him into that was discovering the who and the small faces and yeah. learning about that. Also, the Quadrophenia album... As well, the imagery that was on the sleeve kind of taught him and led him down this path. Um, But he was ahead of the game in terms of mod revival. But when the jam got popular, people cottoned on to his dress and way of dressing and discovered this world. This is my own history of it. I don't know whether it's true. Um, And so then they they wanted to look like Paul. I I felt the same way. And all these different little mods started springing up. Yeah. Some were older, some were younger. And so some of them were forming bands as well. They, they liked that sound. They, they, they liked The Who. They combined the kind of energy of punk and stuff. and Because in some ways, we were all educated in soul and Tamla Motown yeah. by the radio because that was what was played in yeah. the 1970s on the radio. So all those old hits from the 60s were still yeah. being played. So we kind of knew loads of those songs. And um, so all these groups sprung up. And there were whole scenes that I would love to have been a part of. One of the first yeah. albums I had was an album called Mods Mayday 79. Brilliant. And I think I got it for Christmas, probably in 1980 or something. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't even that good. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it, it was a catalogue of all the, th- these bands that were playing these little pubs around the yeah. outskirts of London. So bands like The Small Hours, I think. Secret Affair, I don't think we're even on that album. Yeah. Um, but they were part of that scene. And they were the, 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 the band that kind of crossed over and got in the charts with it. And the Merton Parkers were one of the other bands who got yep. in the charts with their single You Need Wheels. Yeah. And so there were, there was this thing going on around uh, the UK, but it, it seemed kind of a London thing as well. And kind of I got caught up in it because I was into the jam and then I started wanting to dress like the jam, and but didn't have the money or the understanding of where I could get these clothes or how to get them. So I could persuade my mum to buy me a pair of hush puppies as my school shoes. That's mod footwear tick. Um, How do you get a button down shirt? Didn't know where to go. Didn't have the money to afford it. Persuaded my mum to put a couple of holes in the collar of a shirt and put put some buttons on there. My poor mum. The Jam second album... This is the modern world, had a picture of the band underneath a flyover. Paul is wearing a jumper with two arrows on it. Um, I thought, I want a jumper like that. I've got a beige turtleneck jumper uh, or round neck jumper. I know I could put some arrows on that, Um, cut up some old school trousers. Brilliant. Two two arrows persuaded my mum to sew on these arrows onto the jumper. Then I, w- I w- realised years later that Paul just used Velcro and just Velcroed some vel- Velcro strips. He oh, hadn't really? Even yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of DIY activity. Yeah. So, so I was keen uh, to, to kind of get the look, but didn't have the wherewithal to get the look. Yeah. Um, and I, had, I used to go to Manchester quite a lot because I had some cousins up there and would go and stay with them. And um, their mum was really generous, and anytime you go and stay with them, um,
0: she would always. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Say, look, I want to buy you something. I want to get you something. And so I said, oh, I I want a Parker. And um, so she took me to uh, an army store, surplus store, and she bought me a Parker. Wow. But I didn't have the... uh, the nerve to say this isn't the right kind of Parker, because this was a German Army Parker, oh, right. um, which wasn't a fishtail Parker. Yeah, which is a US thing. But I didn't even know the difference really. Yeah, all I knew was it didn't have the tail at the back. Yeah, but I couldn't say I'm sorry. It's not the right Parker. Yeah.
0: So she bought me the Parker, and it was the wrong Parker. <laughs> I'm just now yeah. picturing you in a shit Parker. <laughs> With your school trousers sewn on the front of your jumper. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good look job. I know. Look, John. With, I know. It, was,
1: it was so bad, so bad. I mean, I you know I did go, I, I bought a jacket which looked kind of right, a kind of three button, you know, 60s style jacket. Yep. And I'd found some similar things that my dad had from the 60s that I'd used. And, uh, but I was still quite small at this point, so it was hard to find the right yeah. clothes. And yeah, I was really crap mod. But it was weird because um, where I lived, a few roads away um, was the road that uh, the Tolbert brothers, who were in the Merton Parkers, lived. So Mick Tolbert was one of Merton Parkers. He played the keyboards. It he went on to he be, went on to be half the Style Council. Yeah. So, and he was credited as being Merton Mick on the Jam Setting Suns album because he played some organ on that. I didn't know that. Um, and so there was a you know that's how Paul met him and, and stuff. Paul Weller. Um, there's, I think there was a Paul Talbot, who might be one of the Talbot brothers. Right. So they lived on a road a couple of roads away from me, I learned. Um, and they had a little brother who was a year younger than me. And I used to bump into him walking around the streets of Morden. Um, and we would stop and talk because we were rest, dressed in the right, vaguely right gear. So I would talk to the youngest Talbot um, about Merton Parkers and yep. stuff. And these are really stupid half-hour conversations on a street corner. No, but
0: it felt at the That's time. super cool, though, isn't it? As quite, a kid. Yeah, I
1: mean, I thought, hey, I'm kind of part of it. Yeah. The silly thing was, none of my friends were into mod at all. I was a kind of lone jam fan in my little social group. Yeah. Though they all liked the jam, but not as much as me. It's like friends have, we all had bands. We
0: you obsessed this, enough of music already?
1: Yes, so we, we all had, this is my band, that is your band. You, yeah. you wouldn't say it in those terms, but that's kind of how it was. Yeah. So, so two of my friends, we'd all been into The Stranglers, but two of my friends got more into The Stranglers. So that was their band. Yeah. Now, it's this kind of silly thing, the jam were my band. There were other guy, other boys at school in the year above me. There, were, there was a little coterie of really cool, I thought, mods, who I didn't know at all. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, they were really cool. And they, they, like they had adapted their um, school clothes to look properly mod. Yeah. Like I got my mum to take in my school trousers, so had these nice, what we call at the time, drainpipe trousers. Yeah. But what I really should have had was some nice stay press stay trousers. Press, of course. Um, they had them. They looked really cool, yeah. you know, with their white socks and their hush puppies, or, yeah. you know. They'd even try and wear those uh, two-tone bowling shoes to school. And, right, you know, and the, nice. you know, You'd see one of them with a the Parker on. But they also had a mate who was, who was super cool because he was the punk rocker in school and he would wear his hair, proper Sid Vicious-style punk rock hair to school with a donkey jacket and the Dr. Martin boots. And, and, and so I was, I was impressed that you had punk and mod together. I thought that was a good thing. And then you'd have the odd kind of skinhead. But none of my, we were just that tiny bit younger to to, to really do it properly. And also in our school, if your hair was too long, you got sent home if your head was too short, you got sent home. Yeah. And obviously simultaneously to this, you know, the two-tone explosion, so there were kids who really got into two-tone and had shaved heads and they got sent home. And we were all into that as well. Yeah. And you know, I could have gone for, say, Tears of a Clown by The Beat or yeah. The Specials as being the song that soundtracked my school days because it really did. And, that, and they were bands that
0: really brought everybody together. There was, there was one kid in my school that was a, a sort of second wave of mod and he was a year older than me and his name was Todd Parmenter. And Todd was, then went on because he was like, he was just this cool guy at my school. And, and I remember thinking he was, at a time when kind of there was so much stuff going on in music and, and he looked different from everyone else. He, he would wear a parker and he would wear a state press and he would look super cool. He had a great haircut. And, and I always sort of thought, when I went to college, I wonder what, wonder what happened to that guy. Todd was the first drummer in menswear wow left menswear you'll probably remember them better than me the beatings yeah and uh, yeah. he then joined the beatings and right. I don't know who he plays yeah, for wow
1: yeah because yeah, yeah, I remember them they were pretty full on they yeah, were, yeah really yeah. full on wow yeah. and, uh, oh wow so he kind of followed his music interest completely. and, and yeah. lifestyle interest you yeah. see that in, in some ways you're kind of playing with lifestyle interests but not having the wherewithal to do it in terms of money or knowledge or yeah. know-how. No, I didn't really know where you, you bought all these things. I, mean, I would go up to London on my own and wander around in the same way that you know, I, when I learned about this later, it seemed um, I could relate to it. So when Paul Welly used to go up to London and tape London and then go home and listen to yeah. tapes of London, and I would go up to London and wander around bits of the West End that I'd learned a few different shops existed and would just go there and stand around and look and then go home. I wouldn't have any money in my pocket really to be able to buy anything. Just wanted to breathe it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. there was a shop called Better Badges, which all it sold was badges. And you'd go and look at badges and, and you might buy a couple of badges. But uh, yeah, around that, well, not, maybe a bit later, but I remember that's where I first heard Dead Kennedys was in be- Better oh, Badges. Oh, right. wow. You no, know, you'd be listening, you'd be there kind of absorbing the music yeah. and stuff. But it's also, I'd that there were, you'd walk up and down Carnaby Street. No, because that was the epicenter of the 60s and you're really into the 60s. And so you're into, you know, I think, you know, this is just, there must be some mod stuff here. Yeah. You kind of, I don't know what you thought would happen. You'd bump into a mod. They'd say, you're good. Let's hang out. But instead I got threatened when I, yeah. <laughs> you know, you get at knife point by, uh, Oh wow! Uh, well, not quite enough. That's a, a bit of an exaggeration. So me and a friend went to Petticoat Lane one time, which, uh, which was a big open air market. In search, I was in search of buying a, a kind of mod jacket, 60s suit jacket type yeah. thing. And I bought one. But we got stopped and um, kind of threatened, bullied by these skinheads who were going to beat us up. Um, and uh, we're talking about getting their knife out and all this kind of stuff. But my friend, who was, had a bit more wherewithal um, and was bigger than me, kind of said, right, run, and we just, we just ran. <laughs> so we'd had about kind of 10 minutes of being threatened and pushed up against a wall, and he obviously thought, right, well, I had enough of this. Yeah. Um, actually, that friend um, is a guy called Des Kelly, who is now a sports presenter for BT.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: yeah. So he wasn't a mod, but he was um, more clued up and more worldly-wise than I was. Yeah. And so he, I, he was the person I could go to some of these places with. Yeah. Um, he, w- I went to see Merton Parkers with him because yeah. um, he was out there gig going uh, earlier than I was, um, and the Jam was my second, the second band I saw. So, uh, you know, it's all it's all linked.
0: Okay, well, and then I went through a heavy metal phase. you See, yeah, we, we... well, I want to get onto the metal <laughs> phase. I didn't know that existed. Sabbath oh, like and that.
1: Motorhead were the third and fourth gigs.
0: all right but, yeah. So,
1: so at my my school days. You see, it was hard to find a track that soundtrack to my school days because. I went through very many yeah, phases. Yeah, yeah. No. Did you enjoy school, though? Yeah, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, I did enjoy school. Yeah. I, I wish I worked harder and got better results. No. Yeah. But
0: um, I was lazy. No. Yeah, and you was, you was indulging your passions, right? Yeah, you, was you? I was
1: more intent on writing the jam in an op art style like Bridget Riley on the desk that I sat at. Of course. Um, that seemed much
0: more important. <laughs> and every
1: day you could add another, another bit of colouring.
0: Absolutely. Track four, John Kennedy, the first record you purchased. Yeah, so,
1: I mean, we talked about this a tiny bit already, so we've mentioned some of the records I were, uh-huh. you know, I bought early on, but the first record I ever bought was with uh, a voucher for Woolworths. So this wasn't a record store, but this is... Uh, see, once I bought this,
0: I had a record, and Woolworths then... Woolworths was a record store to yeah. a degree, wasn't oh, okay, it? okay, good, like, yeah. You, I mean, they you sold you loads buy of your records. records in Woolworths, <laughs> wouldn't yeah. you? They always yeah. had a, a good... Good selection of records in Woolworths, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. So when um, I was given either a record voucher, I think it must have been a record voucher, by my auntie Irene when I was about seven or eight. And so I went to Woolworths and I bought an album. And the album was a soundtrack album to a film I'd seen around that time, which was Walt Disney's Robin Hood. And I loved the film. And I did actually love the music in the film. Um, so I bought this album, and it was one of those records which had a gatefold sleeve, it had the story inside, so you could read the story, and it had the songs that were on the film soundtrack, but it also had a narrator telling the story as well, so so it was a world unto itself, really. It was really great, and uh, I, that was the first record I ever bought, <coughs> and um, it's a, it stands up. It's a really good record. When I was going a teenager, I disappeared that record and i don't know what i did with it so i went because i went through so many phases and i had so many not that was really really popular but i had different friends from different sure. uh youth cults yep so i would hide things when people would come around so when i had when I went through my kind of heavy rock heavy metal phase and some of those boys would come around i kind of would hide get happy by elvis costello and the attractions and maybe put it in another part of the house or, or, or something. So they, I would instead have like, it would just be like, oh, Deep Purple, yeah. You no, know, a <laughs> oh yeah. No, just <laughs> be looking yeah. through the records and think, oh, he's got all the great records. <laughs> yeah, And all the other, you know the jam would have been disappeared. And uh, yeah, so I used to do that. And then when I got, a, yeah, probably around that time, I sold some things, and um, but somewhere along the line, the soundtrack to Walt Disney's Robin Hood disappeared. And it's a shame because it's actually really good. Yeah. And uh, so, so Roger Miller is the key person in um, terms of the music. So he wrote some of the songs and sung a lot of the songs and does some of the narration on it. And there's some really catchy songs on it called uh, Oodalally and yep. Whistle Stop. These are, these are big tunes. And um, So you remember them, or have you then gone no, back to the I mean I, I've researched the last few days, the, the titles. But I do remember that there's yeah. this, it, it's like a story. I think I like stories as well. And that's maybe one of the reasons why I like that. John Sinclair talking at the beginning of that record. Sure. I like people talking to people. And it's a nice story. He tells the story well. He's got a cool voice. And it's that combination of of words and music and it's roger miller you know i now know is a, a a respectable folk artist of pedigree who had lots of crossover success so was maybe possibly sneered at with his crossover success but yeah. was rooted in that and was able to write songs easily yeah but there's some lovely whistling going on and it's like it's kind of like a foot stomp with a whistle you know it's, it's great. What's, what's not to like? No, so, but that was the first great, record I bought with, with the voucher. And then, I mean, then I guess maybe there was probably this trying to buy records with my sister. My sister economy into buying, you know, getting my pocket yeah. money to buy the record she wanted to play. Uh, and then, you know, then the next stage using pocket money to, to buy records, which, you no. Know, and then see, there were lots of rec- local record shops that I would have gone to. But then a big part of the evolution was kind of a new bunch of mates and realising, well, well, Des as well, we would go these the shopping trips into London. So we lived right at the end of the Northern Line and Des li- lived even further out. But we'd get on at Morden and we'd go all the way into the West End and you'd tour the record shops and you might have five pounds and try and work out what you could spend that five pounds on. And then I got really into it because I, I used to get, be able to get travel money to get to school, like 10p each way, uh, the bus to school so if I walked to school I could save that money and by the end of the week I could buy a single yeah. um, and so I had th- th- these strategies by then by the time I was 15 that's what I was doing you know 14, 15, 16 you know it's, it's a way of using money
0: yeah. using money wisely yeah <laughs> okay well we're going to move on a little bit now yeah to track five which is the song that soundtracked uh, your time clubbing your clubbing years
1: yeah well I'm still clubbing I know you are. I know you are. You're
0: down with the kids, John. Don't yeah, worry about yeah. That.
1: I don't know about being down with the kids, but um, and so in some ways, clubbing has lots of different eras, you know. And um, the way I looked at this was, what has survived the test of time, and what would I still play? So in many ways, you mentioned you still play this charming man every Friday night in Essex, and I, I still carry with that with me wherever I go. So um, this record qualifies for that, and it's one. So I've done lots of different kinds of club, lots of indie nights, lots of eclectic nights where you play lots of different styles of music and done lots of different kinds of sets. This um, works anywhere, right? But this works everywhere. Yeah. And I remember buying it when it came out, um, when it very first came out, because it was being reissued quite a few times. On 12 inch? On 12 inch, um, I had the cutout sleeve with the silver the insert The yeah. thing. Yeah, and I didn't even know, I. I probably read that it, that's what it represented. I didn't know what floppy disks were. Um, we're talking about Blue Monday by New Order. Um, I, I've kind of, I absolutely loved it when it first came out. I remember John Peel described it when he first played it as Pink Floyd meets the dance floor. And um, I thought that was a really interesting description. He would have known what he was talking about. Um, Because he would have known all the eras of Pink Floyd, which I don't think I did at that point. Um, But it was unlike anything around at the time and completely blew me away. It was like easily my record of the year for that year, possibly. And, you know, that was a year when loads of great stuff came out. Um, And I used to love dancing to it. And then when I started DJing, I would play it and would love seeing people dance to it. And it's, it's continued to, to be so. And then, you no, know, it just seems amazing that you can still play it in, in pubs and get the same reaction um, in a proper club. So I used to do this um, residency. I had a residency at uh, a night called Together, which was at Turnmills. Yep. This was in the noughties. And so they asked me to host a room and I would DJ and other people DJ and I'd get a band to play and so it was 8 or 10 hours in one room it was pretty full on um and it was it was my prop. i'd gone night clubbing and been to raves and stuff and loved all that and you might have heard this tune in many of those situations but this was still something i'd be playing at turnmills and would still fill the dance floor and you could also do other things with it so you could you know it, you could mix it with other more official proper dance music yeah. you can put other things on top of it and you know it's just great so flexible but it really does still get people dancing and people love it and um it's also really important because it gives you a little bit of time to run to the loo and get back to continue
0: playing records (laughs) i've got my my three Wii records it's that full version of resurrection or loaded any of them, right? You've yeah. got time to get through the crowd, have a wee, and get yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> get you out yeah. of trouble. I know it's
1: sad, but true. Um, <laughs> yeah, that you have to confess to such things. But and we're not alone.
0: No, it seems to me anybody who's, who's DJed regularly has yeah. a, a, a tune like that. John, I, I was I played this about two weeks ago, and and it was the last track I played before the next DJ went on. And we've both DJed at this club for nigh on thirty years. God knows how many times we've played it. And I just said to him, this record's fucking incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And it it, it doesn't matter. Like, every now and again, sometimes I take it for granted just because it's, you know, it's Blue Monday, it's been played. Yeah. But, oh my God, it's like, every now and again I just think, oh my God, this this is so amazing. Yeah. And and it, and it, it just... I hear something slightly different in it or you know it's up there with Donna Summer for me I think it's completely it's, it's, yeah. it's an incredible yeah. piece of electronic music yeah yeah completely
1: it's an amazing track and it's interesting I mean, we do take it for granted and you know definitely fallen in and out of love with it many many times and definitely when you, you know as a, a regular DJ you, you do get tired of playing the same That's things course. again and again but it's almost as if you if you're doing it long enough you get to this point um, you know 30, 40 years down the line where you value some things again. And I feel that way about this, you know, that it suddenly, actually, I don't care.
0: I don't care whether this is so obvious. Yeah. It's so fantastic. I had this conversation last Friday about the Lars There She Goes. I got sick to the back teeth of hearing Mm. that record and I played it and played it to death and I hadn't played it for years and I played it last Friday and I thought, oh, this is a great record. And it completely just reignited my, my, my love of that record um okay track six and i've just now realized why you chose it. yes this is so, it uh, and
1: possibly the greatest answer you could ever have for it well well this is it so your favorite song from an artist from your home county so i'm from london i'm from the border of London and Surrey so um, Morden the tube station which is the nearest tube station to where I actually still live so I moved away ended up coming back um, one side of Morden is in Surrey the other side is in SW19 mm-hmm. which is a nice posh area of London it's Wimbledon um, and so uh, in th- you know my first gig was the Merton Parker so that's very local so there, what i was going to say was there's no uh, home county no right. because i'm part of london sure um however there has been an amazing amount of music from the area surprisingly um and so the song i've go- gone for is called morden and it's by good shoes who are a band from that area um and yet there were there are actually quite a few things i could have chosen so i could have gone for merton parker's but Sadly, their music doesn't really stand up to the test of time. And it's something I don't really listen to now at all. Um, Also, Jamie T is from Wimbledon. And he's really amazing. Um, Hot Chip are from Putney and Southfields. Or or some of them are actually, not all of them. Um, And so they connect as Uh being local to me as well. Um, And there's good shoes. And so...
0: It, th- Are they still going i don't know they're not they no, they're not still like, going
1: right. um i think they might have have they reformed a couple of times i don't know so but it's weird because um and there have been other local bands anyway but i never thought that uh, there would ever be a song called morden yeah madness mentioned morden in a song in um, i go driving in my car i'm sure it's in driving in my car they ease, they, ease. They, they, they mention ease. going on the tube and going to morden at yep. some point um so that was nice. <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of amazing. I mean, it, it, it's a quite a grim song, Morden. It paints a, a, a kind of darker picture of Morden. And it's interesting because good shoes, um, some of them are from Lower Morden, one of them is from South Wimbledon, and one of them is from S- Wimbledon or South Wimbledon. It's confusing. So, only if you're of the area would you make these differences. Right. So, um, and is
0: there, are, there, are there big class differences between men? Possibly.
1: So, so right. but not really. Yeah. But yes, th- there, there might be. So, um, it's just that Lower Morden isn't actually on the tube, it's a bus ride away. Yeah. So, it's kind of that bit further out of London. Sure. And Reese, who is one of the two brothers in Good Shoes and wrote the songs, really. Um, he's from Lower Morden and when he's talking in the song about a car crashing um, that's a, it's a sp- specific event and it's actually in Lower Morden I think he mentions in the song Cannon Hill Lane which is in Lower Morden it's, it's kind of near where they live so th- it's so specific Yeah, um, and it's, it's so brilliant because of that and also because they actually you know, were really popular and kind of really connected with people and people loved their songs their songs are really great and they were great band and i was so into them um partly because uh I, mean, I, I was privileged enough to be uh involved fairly early on they sent me a demo a cd of recordings they'd made in their shed and it was really beautifully presented with um a line drawing on the front done by reese he, he was studying in art school in brighton but he was from morden and uh, the band had formed there and it immediately stood out. You thought, wow, this looks really cool. Put the CD on, and it's like, wow, these songs are really good. But they were so badly recorded, all the guitars went through one amp, and it was so... Um, the treble was so high on it that it sounded as if the guitar sounded like Django Reinhardt or something like that. Yeah. It was kind of mad. You know, and this was shortly after Vampire Weekend were just emerging. So, so it was a time when um, more eclectic influences were coming into play. And it, it, uh, on the demo... It sounded like a cross between Django Reinhardt and maybe uh, uh, Zimbabwean guitar music, you know, the Bundu Boys yeah. or something like this. Kind it of, was, it was really surprising. It's like, whoa, this band is really different. And so I played it immediately on the show, and um, so, got in touch with them. And then it kind of, then they, they got, yeah, you know, I got them in for a session, and you know, we, we realised, oh, we're from the same place, and and. Um, yeah, it was just nice. And then th- when they g- actually
0: went into recording studio, they sounded quite different again.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so how? I mean, I mean, I think it's important to, to to pay attention to what you just said. There is a band sent you a demo, and I am sure. Um, do, do you still get inundated with with with, with totally bands? all the time uh, via email, uh, via Twitter? Um, and, yeah. And the fact that you find something you like, and then you play them, and then you can bring them in and do a session and things yeah. like that. I mean. There's not many stations, and there's certainly not many DJs that have that ability to and free reign to do that. And 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 that's incredible. I mean, are, you know, are you still completely in love with the. Oh, you know, yeah, the
1: it's magical. It's really exciting. You know, and th- this had extra significance because it was so local. Of course. And because they were such an interesting band. And, and all four really creative individuals I learned, know, um, you know, really interesting. Um, and. Yeah, it's really exciting, and and also so this ended up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love being able to do that, and that's why I'm still doing it in many ways. Um, and
0: that can change the complete direction of someone's life. It, do you know it I mean? can
1: do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't claim to have managed to do that, but um, yeah, you, it it can you, help. You definitely
0: it, played a part in in a lot of bands getting some incredible exposure and 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 helping them on their journey. Make no mistake of that. Yeah, something.
1: it it right. all it all helps. It yeah. all helps. You know, I think. I mean, our, we've got. A mutual friend in Scribus Pip, and, we have. and he, he said sent to me, say hello this morning. By the way, please say hello back. <laughs> I and mean, he he sent me a CD. I played it that night on the radio. Yeah. No. um But another interesting thing was so I I said that sorry i'm really just using this as a, a chance to talk about my life uh, another, about, mate. another interesting thing was that so i used to go to manchester quite a lot and stay with cousins and co- my cousins were really important where to you got me, the that, shit parker where i got the, the shit parker <laughs> well, I <know>. sorry <laughs> sorry mona um but you know my, so my, i remember going to a party in the basement of that house that i was staying in and um again it uh, it, it was a, a real moment so i'm there as as a kind of mod um one of my cousins who was having the party michael he was the guy who got me into heavy rock so he'd gone through this phase or was still going through at that point where he had hair down his shoulders and he was one of those kids who you know age 13 14 suddenly grew a lot and was really tall looked like an adult and i remember seeing him on holiday in ireland where we used to always go to ireland on holiday and he he, suddenly i hadn't seen him for a year next time he's like an adult with long hair and he's into this whole load of music that i hadn't heard of like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and all this kind of stuff. I thought he's the coolest ever. want to be like him. Started getting into that music. Um, and he gave me an album. He gave me a Kiss album. Um, a few months on, I'd kind of changed. I'd got into a mod then and uh, ditched the heavy rock, uh, in theory. Yeah. And went to a party that they were having in the basement there. In my and wildest imagination, I'm trying to picture you as a rocker, John. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, very <laughs> useless, really. But... Um, so, But what was so cool was this was that two-tone era again. So th- this, to me, was what uh, youth culture should all be about. So I'm there vaguely dressed as a mod. He's there as a heavy rocker with his long hair. But all his mates are all different representatives of different youth cults. And we're all dancing to two-tone. You know? So it was everybody together. You know? So he had this friend who looked like uh, Ziggy Stardust, Bowie era... You no, know, and I thought, oh, wow, he looks so cool. There was a guy who was more of a two-tone guy. Now we were all kind of skanky. Yeah, the yeah, fuses. and it was yeah. all just you no. Know, that is my my. Uh, it's re- it was really important. And then I continued going to Manchester, but I would stay with a different cousin who lived in a different house, and he was really into Joy Division, and then into New Order, and he really got me into Joy Division, and that's when I first heard She's Lost Control, um, the twelve-inch, and was completely blown away, um, and.
0: Again, that sounded like nothing before it, right?
1: Yeah, and it is the 12-inch version you want to have of that song. Um, But one, it was one time going to stay with him, my cousin David. And uh, I remember as as the train came into Manchester, and I'm on the train on my own, and uh, on the wall, as he kind of was daubed, Cockneys, die! (laughs) 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 And uh, I thought, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, got to his house... And he's got a friend round, and um, so his friends, in that we're all in in David's bedroom, and David goes to the loo or whatever, and uh, his friends in the room with him. I've never met him before, and and he just turns to me and says, "I fucking hate cockneys," and it's like I'm like fourteen and think. What, why are you saying that? No. <laughs> and it was just really funny. So I'd had this kind of weird experience. And I think really, in hindsight, I could tell that he was just mucking about and he was yeah. just having a laugh at me. But I was too uh, shy and scared to to think, like, oh, is he being serious? And it's yeah. like a bit like compl- uh, completely puzzled by what what was going on. Brilliant. So, But years later, I put on Good Shoes in Manchester. And it was a weird kind of, revenge because uh it, it wasn't intended as revenge so i put on these gigs i put one on in scotland one on in manchester and one on in london across three nights and um and i had it was like three of the bands uh so the the london one was an all-day thing with like 10 bands playing um, but the scottish one had three bands uh manchester one and all three bands were all playing as part of the all-day as well and they were from the different cities so dan and Ackroyd from glasgow um the Answer Machine from Manchester and Good Shoes from London. Yeah, Good Shoes were the headliners, and to hear a crowd of Manx singing Morden at the tops of their voices um, and chanting Morden was like, "Hey, Cockneys, die! You know, <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> Look at this!" Brilliant. So it was a strange, uh, strange kind of moment. That I thought. I got a kind of revenge, which was silly because I love Manchester and I love Mancunians and it was a fundamental part of my uh, education was yeah. to be able to go and visit my relatives in Manchester.
0: I used to, I used to go and visit my my nan in Tilbury um, and there was a, a big skinhead contingent in Tilbury and uh, I remember just sort of sitting in my parents' car every time we used to go there. I knew we was near there because there was this stark bit of graffiti that just said, Angela Rippon's bum. <laughs> and I was absolutely fascinated by it. A, because it's had the word bum on the wall. And I remember thinking, my God, like... And that's the woman from the news. Why are they talking about her bum? And like, and years and years later, apparently it was a skinhead band right. that I knew nothing right. about. Right. But, uh, Brilliant. But it stuck with me forever, just that that kind of... Just seeing them sort of slogans and it was like literally with white emulsion just uh, looked like something off of a record sleeve uh, uh, yeah you're just saying that just triggered that in my head yeah. that, that bit of graffiti that's great um, um, I'm going to have to go to the loop okay so we're recording we just had a quick quick break for a quick wee and, just great uh, new order and uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Monday. Yeah. laughs> um, which brings us on to um, our last track John um, and it's an opportunity for you to do what you do best. And, uh, and that's um, try and turn someone onto a song that they may not know that you would like them to listen to. Yes, so I did think,
1: oh, well, it's easy this, I'll just go for something new. Because that's what I do every night. And so I thought, oh, yeah, so uh, I'm really excited about this band called Pompoko from Norway. They've got this great single out at the moment called Crazy Energy Night. It's pretty mad. I thought, yeah, well, that's easy, just Pompoko. Then I thought, well, no, no, I'm really into uh, 404, this new band who just signed to Dirty Hit Records. They're a kind of, well, I'm describing them as the radio head of uh, Grime Hop. Um, Okay. But that's probably not accurate. Um, But I don't know what Grime Hop is. I've just invented it. Um, but they're, they're a hip-hop band uh, called 404. They've got this track out called Fearless. Um, oh, no, it's Fearful. Fearful. Um, but they're, yeah, really exciting, really interesting. Um, kind of multiple voices, really interesting music, quite sinister, quite um, scary in some ways. Um, but I decided, no, that's too easy to just do the, you know, do your latest thing. Because yeah. that's what I do every night on the of radio. Course. Um, so instead, I thought I'd just um, mention... Um, one of my go-to pieces of music, really, that you no, know, it's widely acknowledged by uh, many people as an absolute classic. Um, but I also think there are many people who probably haven't heard it before, and it's such a beautiful piece of music, and I find it uh, really uh, inspiring, really exciting, but also really relaxing, um, and so. It's it's kind of straddles genres. It's jazz, but you could maybe call it New Age. You could call it spiritual jazz. Um, it's by Alice Coltrane. It's called Journey to Satchidananda, and it's from an album of the same name. Now, Alice was married to John Coltrane. That's how she gets her surname. Um, I mean, in the last few years, there's definitely been an Alice Coltrane revival. Um, some of her rec- recordings that... Um, were only released on cassettes have recently been re-released but she did a series of albums in the 60s and early 70s um, which really tried to explore some of the ideas about music and spirituality that she shared with her husband John and um, she uh, had different instruments to play so she was a pianist and a harpist and this track, Journey to Satya starts with these really mesmerizing harp strings being played, and it just sounds amazing. And it really, it's one of those songs, it's an instrumental, it really takes you on a journey. And you feel as you listen to it that you really are being transported to another world. And that's one of the the reasons that I got into it so much. So How did re- you discover it? i I, I was trying to, Worked that out. Um, I mean, I I was definitely uh, exploring jazz at different points. So we mentioned the MC5 earlier on. Now, the MC5 collaborated, even on that album, um, they had a track uh, where they had collaborated with Sun Ra. And I'd always been intrigued by this person, Sun Ra, and didn't know who Sun Ra was. Um, Then one time in in the... uh, Well, it would have been the late... 80s early 90s yeah, about 1989 1990 maybe 1990 I'm trying to remember Um, Sun I saw Sun Ra was playing a bill and he was supporting Cabaret Voltaire at the Brixton Academy so I thought oh wow I've got to go to that Um, that's a crazy night out a crazy night out and I thought this is my opportunity I could go and see Sun Ra and I'd kind of been when I first heard the MC5 aged 17, 18, 19 or whatever that when I was um I, uh, I wasn't necessarily following up some of those uh, directions. So I wasn't kind of going off into free jazz straight away. Instead, I was exploring the punk and rock aspects yeah. of that. But then a few years further down the line, when I'm, I've been to university, I'm, I'm back in London, and I'm 22 or something, I'm kind of getting much, much deeper into things. So I, I was... Uh, and simultaneously, I'd got a job <laughs> at the BBC Gramophone Library. Um, which was the BBC's record library. Um, so anyway, went to see Sun Ra supporting Cabaret Voltaire at the British Academy. Got to the gig. It was cancelled. Um, Cabaret Voltaire had pulled out. So it wasn't happening there. However, there was a notice on the door saying Sun Ra and his orchestra are playing for free at Yulu tonight. So I thought, well, I'm going to go to that. Yeah. And... I was completely and utterly blown away. So I got there and walked in and there are all these people chanting and walking around the room playing instruments in these crazy robes. And then they walk through the audience and they all get up on stage and they start playing. And this is Sun Ra and the yeah. orchestra. And I, I didn't know what I was expecting. And I wasn't really expecting that. Were you on your own? I was on my own, yeah. So this was my phase when I... I, mean I, I what, did go to gigs on my own when i was about 16 because i I was really young looking i was really short i hadn't i'm still short uh, but i was even shorter than i am now and it was a bit of a struggle going to some things for over 16 year olds and i had to bring id and stuff and sometimes i'd be embarrassed about that and also in those days it was hard to um uh persuade all your friends to go to things. Because yeah. not everybody wanted to go to the same thing, didn't have the money, whatever. So you know, I got tired of being compromised by them and yeah. thought, right, no, I want to go and see the fall and the birthday party, I'm doing that. And yeah. I'd say to my mom, I'm going with so-and-so and so-and-so and I'd go on my own. So that started at about 16. Um, so I was used to going to things on my own. And so I wasn't going to try and drag somebody along to see yeah. Sun Ra, just went on my own. They were absolutely amazing. And then they announced that they were playing the following night at the Mean Fiddler, which was in Harlesden, which is the other side of London. Um, but I had to go to that gig. So I went to see them the following night. And the music being played before them um, was really brilliant. It was like, wow, what is all this stuff? And it was a lot of Latin jazz, actually. And I think I'm trying to remember who it was. I did found, I found out who the DJ was. And, and then because I was working at the BBC Gramophone Library, I was able to explore this further so i would borrow lots of the recordings there and it kind of led me to to jazz and i'm pretty sure it was through being at the gramophone library that i discovered alice coltrane so once you know a little bit you see releases on impulse and um so if something's on impulse it's like a seal of approval and because it's there on the shelf i can just borrow it yeah or i mean i ended up working in the office where we ordered all the stuff for the library so at that point the bbc bought all of its uh stock for the library dream job right John dream job <laughs> I spent every day just listening to music and ordering stuff you No, know, from record record distributors you know and so that get any better you know, than that, I know it? well it was a, it was an <laughs> absolute dream job I did it for seven years you know and um, so I'd buy in an Alice Coltrane reissue on CD on impulse and I could just put it on and I'd listened to it and I discovered so much stuff through that and this was definitely the side of jazz that really stayed with me and it was such a go-to music for various different things. It would be great to fall asleep to, great to relax to, great to play in kind of chill out clubs to, great to play on the radio as far as I was concerned and um, I think a lot of people, see I don't want to be too dismissive but a lot of people might have preconceptions about jazz and, and you know, it, it's such a shame because it's, it's such a world of music and so many different styles. And
0: but, but I do think with, with, with jazz, um, someone for this track chose a track by um, the, the album that John Coltrane done with Miles Davis. Mm. And, and we, we was chatting about that. And, and, and I think if someone's looking to venture into jazz, I think you've got to be careful where you start because you could, you could go into something very exper- experimental right from the off yeah. and just think, well, no thanks. Yeah.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, at the age I am now, I might be more open to that. But yeah. um, but this is a gateway uh, yeah. track, I think. I think it was something that can lead people to, to as unyet explored worlds. Yeah. You know, and that's part of what Alice is all about, really. Yeah. I mean, she definitely has had a revival in the last few years yeah. and um, you know, because of certain reissues. And she, she gave up playing music for um for commercial reasons and yeah. um she joined uh a buddhist temple or you know and and she focused on spirituality and and that side of things continued to make music within that community yeah. and recorded music um for that community that was only released on cassette and you could buy these in health food shops or at the temple and, and things like that in the 70s and um, that music was recently collected together and reissued um, oh, really? through Luaka Bop. So that has helped um, spike uh, an interest, a new interest in in Alice Coltrane. I mean, she's somebody who has been revived quite a few times, and definitely, probably, when I was first hearing Alice Coltrane, I was also getting into bands like Galliano, yep. um, into you know uh, acid jazz and Giles Peterson's Talking Loud label, and. You know, they would have been referencing things like that. And and I would, I think it was actually Patrick Forge who would have been that DJ that night. I saw Sun Ra at The Mean Fiddler. yeah, um, And he was playing all this Latin jazz stuff and Latin soul stuff. And, um, you know, with... It, I was in the right place to be able to find that stuff and then go and buy it for myself. And I was going to those Talking Loud nights and I was, you know... It, see, so much it, of it was happening in this very yeah, building yeah, we're well, sitting in it, there. This is what would have brought me to Blue Note. Yeah. And... Um, And I was, you know, I've been hopping trends all my life. It seems to me, and you know, I love that. I find it really exciting when you discover a new world, and and all those cats, as we'll call them in this instance, would have been into other things. Like Galliano would have been, they were reworking songs by, I'm trying to think of get the right answer, but maybe people like Ferris Sanders and stuff like that. And you know, and then you'd think, ah, that's that's the title of that sounds like this, and you could oh I'm going to listen to Ferris Anders yeah. now and, um, and, and similarly at those gigs they would be playing this
0: music in the yeah. background so their, their music kind of was I mean that, that sort of transcended into because the, the indie scene really embraced the acid jazz thing in the clubs as well mm. you know things like JTQ and Draw and Mother Earth yeah. and, 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 and Galliano like, and, and Galliano also kind of for me some of that stuff like sort of the last like Twyford Dan and things like that kind yeah. of crossed over a little bit into like some of the stuff that was coming out of Bristol and things yeah. like that it was it was a really kind of exciting little scene it, and, it was. and it was it was all kind of I think the the big sort of Britpop thing like definitely embraced JTQ and and, yeah. and, and Caldroy no and totally I mean there's a there's a,
1: a history of the 90s to be written that Actually tells you what the '90s was really like, you yeah. know. So because it was pretty eclectic then, and and the club nights especially, yeah. you know, would play all sorts yeah. of music, you know, and and yet there were also new forms being created at the same yeah. time. So, you know, you would have drum and bass and jungle coming up, um, but you might layer a bit of Alice Coltrane on, on top yeah. of that, you know, and, and it was all being mashed together in this beautiful way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I thought I'd choose this, just because um, any light that can be shone on
0: Alice is, is good for everyone. And yeah, fantastic. So in regards to recommending new music, where can people hear you talking about that, John? I'm glad you asked that Uh, so I do
1: a radio show for a station called Radio X it's on Monday to Thursday every week 10pm through to 1am and that's where I'm at Uh, there are offshoot nights that I put on from that that are a bit on hiatus at the moment but um, there are plans to bring those back fantastic Um, you can hear me talk about music to musicians on another podcast called Tape Notes which I do with the people behind the In the Woods Festival Um, and that's Really interesting and really enjoyable to do it 's where we go deeper into particular tracks and how they are recorded with both artist and producer yeah. um, and we 've talked to some great people on that
0: john it's, it's an absolute privilege this podcast is is all about people 's journeys in music and, and 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 their creative journey specifically and um from to have you as a guest for someone that 's been on XFM through to Radio X, championing new music and, and helping people with their creative journeys. It's been an absolute honour to to sit with you, John. And it's so, always nice to catch up with you yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: Stu, thank you very much. I mean, I'm amazed you've asked me back and uh, it's, uh, it's an honour to be on the podcast <laughs> and it, it's great to be able to um, just... Uh, rabbit on and talk about myself to somebody who's actually interested <laughs> <laughs> it's not like this at home <laughs>
0: it's like what dad why do you think I set this podcast up <laughs> thanks John there you go and it's always a real joy to speak to somebody like John radio presenters are, are, are great to chat to because they're really good at it I can sit back cross my arms put my feet up and the interview just flows because it's what people like John do. And, and there's a reason that, that John's been on the radio for so long. It's because he's really, really bloody good at it. Uh, it was a lovely chat. And it's always nice to catch up with John anyway. And it was, it was everything I hoped it would be. And, and I hope very much that you guys enjoyed it too. Um, as I said at the beginning, if you do, then then please head over to the Patreon because um, there's more shows available there. Have a little look through the back catalogue because there's plenty of other episodes um, on, on the off the beaten track, iTunes and Acast and Spotify pages. Go over there and have a look. And you know, if you like your yeah, your indie music, then there's episodes over there from oh bloody hell, I've got to remember them all now. Uh, obviously, Scribbles Pip Block Party. Oh God, there's Loads and loads and loads. Go and get stuck in. And uh, and if you do have a little look on them pages, then please, please give us a little a like or a comment and uh, because it all helps. It all helps for the greater good, for, for helping to grow this podcast and, uh, and keeping me in shoes. Have a lovely day. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and ACAST, and it's a one stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there also spotify have given us these amazing little codes so if you do get a print copy you can just turn on your spotify on your phone scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device how good's that if you haven't managed to get a print copy then just go over to www Podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com. It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with it.